Thank you for listening to Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Buffalo What's Next is on summer break and we'll return with new content shortly. As we take this break, please continue to tune in to WBFO Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. and 9 p.m. for producer picks of some of our favorite episodes of Buffalo What's Next. How can we afford not to talk about race? About education. About segregation. About humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. On today's episode of Buffalo What's Next, Summertime Producer Picks, we highlight three segments from previous shows. Thomas O'Neill White speaks with Buffalo Fatherhood Initiative Program Manager Antoine Johnson from February 8th of this year. The two talk about ways to help fathers and families in Buffalo. Next, we continue with Thomas as he speaks with Northwest Banks, Jonathan Graves, and Rick Hamster from February 6th of this year. And we end the show with Angelie Preston speaking with Yanava Hawkins and Raina Mockery from Girl Gang Entertainment from April 19th of this year. First, Thomas O'Neill White with Fatherhood Initiative Program Manager Antoine Johnson from February 8th of this year. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Thomas O'Neill White, and I'm talking fatherhood with Buffalo Fatherhood Initiative Program Manager Antoine Johnson. Antoine, thank you for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, first off, being a parent is not easy. Um, and uh, once again, I'd like to apologize to my mom and dad uh, <laughs> uh, for the thousandth time. Antoine, you're a father. What does fatherhood mean to you? Yeah, for me, uh, it. I think the first word that comes to my mind is commitment. Um, you know, it is a, a day in and day out grind of being commit- committed and involved. Um, the other word that comes to my mind is is presence. Uh, we talk about in our, our fatherhood groups the I, this idea that you can be um, physically present but emotionally absent. And so one of one of my things is, is making sure I'm showing up, you know, both physically and mentally. Now, what does that what does that look like? You know, being being there more than physically, being present, mm-hmm. being there emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things for me is, you know, just kind of getting in my kids world. Um, more so my daughter. I have two kids. Uh, my, my youngest is Nathan, who's six months and my daughter, who's uh, she'll be three next month. But but just getting in her world. Right. Whether that's playing with their toys or doing silly things. And I think, you know, going back to your question, being there for me is about doing the things that my kids enjoy and the things that I believe will help to promote their growth and development. And you are the program director for the Buffalo Fatherhood Initiative, which is part of uh, Buffalo Prenatal and Perinatal Network. The Fatherhood Initiative is relatively new. And can you talk about its development since you've been there? Yes, yes, yes. So I started late 2017, our ED um, and fearless leader Luann Brown was the one who brought in the funding through Oshai, uh, found, through the Oshai Foundation, excuse me. And she really just had a heart for um, and a desire to see more services for fathers and families because she didn't feel like that there was a lot of stuff out there for men um, with children. And, and she was right. I mean, there are not many father specific programs in our region. In fact, the entire country, uh, there is a there is a, a scarcity of programs that we have, like the one we have. 
what are some of your top priorities of the initiative? Yeah, one of one of the the biggest things for us is one making fathers feel valued. Um, many times, I feel in our communities and society in general, uh, fathers are often overlooked and undervalued in their role as a caregiver and a presence in the house more often than not. When when I thought about the word father, I thought about breadwinner, provider, the one who brings in the bacon and, and not a whole lot else. Right, right, right. And so we really have done some work behind the scenes, so to speak, around create or changing the narrative where fathers are nurturers. Um, they're not only providers, they, they care. Um, we have fathers who they, they cry sometime about their relationships with their children, especially when they don't have much of one for one reason or another. And so we, we really want to impress the fact that fathers are more than breadwinners. Now, how, since, since you started there, have, have those priorities morphed at all? Have they, or have, are there new priorities each year? How does that work? Yeah, so I think the the priorities have matured in a way. Uh-huh. Um, we we've done um, other projects throughout the year. Um, in fact, we this year we partnered with Black Boys Free to their organization, and one of the things that we we do is our, our fatherhood coordinator goes out and um, he sits with the children and their father, fathers and, and, and moms too at times in the barbershops and they're working on literacy development. Um, but one of the things I love to see is, is uh, the fathers out there um, being engaged with their kids um, around literacy development, which is something that dads are doing every day. Uh, and I think what, what is happening is, is again, we're, we're, we're helping to highlight the fact that fathers are engaged and specifically, you know, fathers of color, too. How, how important is it to change the narrative of the absentee father and more so the absentee black father? Oh, it's imperative. Um, there is this, like you said, stereotype narrative that black fathers are not as involved as some of their other um, counterparts. And so um, I think that it is critically important to highlight two different things, right? One is the fact that this this narrative is not new. Um, I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's just carried over over the decades. Uh, we think about, uh, or I think about the Daniel Patrick Moynihan report um, back in the uh, 1960, 19, around 1965, um, and where they talk about the, the number of out of wedlock births and African-American families and how that contributed to a lot of the um, absenteeism when it comes to fathers and why we see some of the delinquent behavior that we see with, with black children and, and things of that nature. Uh, but I think one of the things that has not been highlighted is the fact that even if when fathers, black fathers specifically, don't live in the household, being, you know, we categorize them as non-residential fathers, that, that they're still involved. They're still they're still doing what they need to do for their children, even if the relationship is not there with mom. In 2006 through 2010, CDC did a study, and one of the things that they found was that black fathers compared to other races were actually more involved when it came to things related to direct care. So when we think about taking your kids to the school or bathing or mealtime, um, things of that nature, they, they're around, right, regardless of whether or not they live with their children. Do you impart those numbers and, you know, the, 
those those past attitudes about absentee fathers? Do you impart that on your group? You let them know this is what they think about you. This is how you, and this is how you got to move forward. So we don't explicitly. I think that there is this shared awareness that 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 is the narrative. We share statistics about. Uh, when fathers are not involved, uh, like, you know, children are twice as likely to drop out of school. Teens are seven times more likely to become pregnant. Uh, families are four times more likely to, to experience poverty um, because we want to emphasize their value and what they bring to the table when they are around, especially when they don't live in the household. But I think the uh, the other part of that, we you know, I, I think that's like a shared um, awareness. We're going to take a short break in four minutes, but um, before this break, I want to ask, is there a mental health factor for fathers with with newborn children? We uh, we talk a lot about postpartum depression in women, but is there a similar uh, issue with with dads? Yes. Yes. So studies show that one out of 10, every 10 men will experience um, that 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 sort of depression after the child is born. Um, so the, yeah, that's there. That's relevant. And what's, what's the, you know, how, how do, how do fathers get over that? What's the, uh, you know, what's the prognosis with that? Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I, I don't know that there's one way. I think that a lot of men, um, you know, have opportunities for things related to therapy, uh, support groups, uh, family members, what have you. Uh, just anecdotally, I think the biggest thing would probably just that closeness with their partner and having other people that they can uh, share their thoughts with and so forth. And talk to me a little bit about the annual report. Uh, from 2022. Over 50 professionals were trained last year to engage and serve men and children. What kind of training goes into that and what are the best practices for serving these fathers and children in the program? Yeah, so that training was actually facilitated by one of our partners out of South Carolina who does uh, work with fathers and fatherhood practitioners uh, on a national level. And uh, what he does is he talks about the uh, just the reality of biases that are out there toward fathers when they they go to various service providers uh, and how we as service providers or practitioners can be more intentional about helping fathers feel welcomed um, and giving them um, a voice when, when it matters. For example, when we're going to the doctor's appointments or the prenatal appointments with our partners and um, the importance of them um, really just being present, right? Um, I think about my own experiences where, you know, sometimes I would go to the doctor with my wife, or at least when we are our children, when she was pregnant with our children. And sometimes they would only kind of look to my wife, you know, for questions mm-hmm. and things of that nature. And I would feel overlooked at times, right? And so it was those kind of things that um, it's important for uh, folks through the different sectors to be aware of as it relates to fathers. And you would say, you know, just being present is like the starting block for, for everything. Absolutely. Yeah. We got to show up. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with you on the other side. You are listening to Buffalo. What's next. I'm Krause Shalahorn with mindful music. Join me for thoughtful and in-depth conversation with my many different guests from around the region and the world as they discuss how music helps 
and heals in times of stress and everyday life. Listen to Mindful Music Saturdays at 4 p.m. right here on WVFO, your NPR station. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And we're back. I'm Thomas O'Neill White, and I'm talking black fatherhood and fatherhood in general with Buffalo Fatherhood Initiative Program Manager Antoine Johnson. Antoine, talk to us a little about the a little bit about the impact the Fatherhood Initiative is having on the community. Yeah, so I think for us, we are able to really highlight and raise the awareness about the important role and significance of fathers and in the lives of families and children. I, I think that, you know, most folks who, who have that experience, they, their family is intact and not broken and so forth. Just It's, it's just really natural, right? But I think for um, the larger community that it's important for us to continue to um, help reshape that narrative around, you know, what a father really means. Is it, are you taking a, a holistic approach to this? Is that, is that, would you say you would do that? Yes and no. So a lot of our work is, is done kind of, uh, you know, just one part at a time. You know, we, we do these groups through using a curriculum with the Net Nurturing Fathers program, which is evidence-based. Um, and then what we do is we take the the results and the testimonies and the transformation from the fathers um, whose lives have been changed to a degree. Um, and we leverage that to, to help to really not only share their experiences, but also, again, uh, do what I've mentioned before in terms of um, highlighting the importance of fathers in a community. What are some of those testimonies? Yeah, so more often than not, you know, the fathers that go through our groups, they benefit from um, becoming better communicators in the lives of their children and their families. And so, you know, they talk about how they experience less conflict uh, with their partners and, ch- and children, um, maybe not so much with their children, but but they're better able to speak more in, in a nurturing tone, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're learning about the, you know, the differences in, in terms of communication, you know. Is there anything that stands out for you when working with these new fathers or fathers who are trying to be more involved with their children or their, their family? Um what do they need to be successful fathers? Is mm-hmm. it ju- is it you know starting with presence, communication? What else? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that the foundational pieces is, is that fathers, men in general, we we need to feel like we matter. Right. Um, like when we show up to the table, that there's a difference, right? We're I not. I think that's so important. Absolutely, we're not better than mom. Um, but our contributions are unique. Mm-hmm. Um, when I speak to my daughter or, or need to correct her, um, <laughs> apart from from my wife, it's it it just it resonates with her a little differently, you know. And I'm not more effective than my wife 
we, yeah, I just play a different role in her life. Right. It's it's maybe like two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. It's but that coin is all love. Right. You've got two kids. Yes, right? sir. Yep. Um. Given that, and working with the group, um, what words of wisdom do you personally impart on them, on the men that you work with? Yeah. So, you know, you ever what, pull, pull guys aside and like, hey, you know, this is you can speak to them anecdotally about things that you've gone through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so we have a team of four uh, right now, which is which is really good compared to to, you know, the one man show over like two <laughs> and a half years or so. So uh-huh. uh, we appreciate we're appreciative of the growth and support from the community. Um, but I think for me, when when I'm talking to guys, um, you know, one of the things is just, it's just being able to relate and empathize. Um, I like to share my own experiences sometime around, you know, how I was raising a, a a broken family, so to speak, uh, where my father wasn't as involved in my life. And so uh, that experience and kind of overcoming some of the um, hurt and, and things related to that from my life, I'm, I'm able to confidently um, and again, empathetically speak uh, to the guys in terms of you know, where they are. And not everyone has that experience. Again, I I mentioned before how, you know, we have guys who have had fathers in their lives, but uh, sometimes their experience is their father was present, um, but he might have been abusive or he was present, but they didn't really feel loved by him. Right. And so, again, there's a difference. Did your experience growing up lead you here? Yes. Yes. So I I joined the uh, organization Buffalo Prenatal in 2017, but it was just before that I had gone through a program called the Fatherhood Connection. So it was brought in by a gentleman um, out of Rochester by the name of Reggie Cox. And I had to overcome something that I I learned uh, to be termed as a father's pain, right? I had a lot of uh, resentment and things of that nature toward my father. And I, I was hurting, um, and, and so I had to overcome those things and, and resolve those feelings toward my father's in order to effectively serve some of the men today. Was it painful? Oh, yeah. Get, getting over that? Oh, yeah. It's not easy being vulnerable as a man. I think more often than not in our culture, and we talk about black fatherhood, right. there, there is this false narrative that black men need to always be strong never show vulnerability that can be seen as weakness because you'll be seen as like soft in the community. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, I had to get over all that stuff because the reality was I had to think about, you know, those that would come after me, right? Like my children. Now I have a son who I have to help him understand that it's okay to be emotional and it's okay to, um, show anger in a, in a healthy and positive way when you need to let stuff out, right? And so I, I, going through those experiences helped me to become a better father and a man for my community. And I can see uh, our producer, Charles, back there nodding along with what you're saying. He's a father, too. He understands. Um, can you talk a little bit about the fourth annual conference? When was that? Yeah, so that one was back uh, mid October. And so those conferences are great ways for us to highlight some of the the work that we've done and some of the things that we feel is relevant 
to the community around fathers and families. And so we were able to bring in folks from out of state and, and different things of that nature in order to do that work. What is what was relevant? What were the relevant topics? Yeah, one of the, the topics that really stood out, we had a speaker come from um, Louisville and uh, he talked about the importance of fathers, specifically black fathers around co-parenting relationships mm-hmm. and how, you know, even when the two don't work out romantically, how important it is to be supportive of one another for the well-being of that child or children that are in a family. As a uh, child of a black father from Louisville, got to agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What else from the conference uh, stood out to you? Yeah, one of the things. So our theme for this past year was Hope Giver. And so that was all about the importance of uh, recognizing that fathers need hope. And the way that we come to understand hope was that hope was defined as what we were able to do in the midst of adversity, right? What action were we able to take in order to get past that level of adversity and move forward? Um, And so it was also fathers being able to give hope to their children, right? So now that they have hope, they were able to give it to their family and their children. What do you hope to give to your children? That's a great question. I I think for me, it is to leave a legacy of nurturance, trust, faith and and commitment. Again, like I said, I I grew up in a, you know, a society would deem like a a broken family, right? Not Mm -hmm. the traditional mom and dad relationship. And so I I want that togetherness from my wife to, to be modeled before them so that they know when they get older, what a, what a healthy, relatively healthy relationship looks like. And my wife and I are not perfect, um, but I hope that they're able to see that stability and love from us and pass it on. When working in the fatherhood initiative, there is, is there work being done like, you know, partner to partner mm-hmm. instead of just in, as a side to a uh, partner and, and, or father and children? Mm-hmm. Is there like man and wife? Yeah, so we, we have a segment in our Nurture Fathers program where we have in the past brought in the partners um, or the wife in one of the sessions, and mm-hmm. they kind of share their perspectives on their partner, right? So sometimes <laughs> the guys like to pump themselves up and make them, you know, <laughs> seem like it better than better than what it is, right? right? So so the moms or the partners, they, you know, they'll give the real opinion. And so that's always cool. And yeah, and so that's what we've done. <laughs> Um, we've got, we've got, uh, a few minutes left. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing I wanted to ask you is, um, for our listeners listening today, maybe a struggling father mm-hmm. or a guy struggling with his relationships, mm-hmm. what's something you'd like to, to leave yes. our listeners with today? Yes. Yeah, so interestingly enough, I was listening to a gentleman that I have a lot of respect for. His name is Jason Wilson out of Detroit. And he said something um, you know, that relates to our topic today. And it was for fathers to live from what you longed to receive from your dad, not what you never had. Right. So I think a lot of times um, us as, as men, we, we usually will only impart what our experiences were. If we came from a broken family, then, then our bent is to create yeah. a family that is broken right? right um but but the idea here around that quote is to be what you you didn't have 
give what you wanted. If you wanted love or affection from your father, then give that to your child, what you longed for. Mm, mm, powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Um, before we go, I just want to I want to send a shout out to my younger brother, Will, who is a father and my sister-in-law, Vanessa, and they're almost one year old, turning one in on on Sunday. Uh, little baby Francis, give a shout out to you. Happy birthday. That was Thomas O'Neill White with Buffalo Fatherhood Initiative Program Manager Antoine Johnson from February 8th of this year. We continue with Thomas as he speaks with Northwest Bank's Jonathan Graves and Rick Hamster on some new home ownership and financial literacy programs from February 6th of this year. Thank you both for being here today. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for having us. What does financial wellness mean and what are some of the goals you associate with the term? Financial wellness is is making people comfortable with where their financial situation is. And that's whether they're saving for retirement, saving for college, saving for that first home. And one of the reasons that uh, that I wanted uh, John Graves to be here is because he's such an expert in the first home buyer's mortgage uh, situations. And Jonathan, we've had this conversation before. There's plenty of grants that are available uh, in the, the Western New York area that uh, really are are used to help people with down payment, with closing costs, uh, help you get into that first home. So at, at Northwest, we have our first front door program, which is a $5,000 grant that we offer that will be starting up in the spring, um, where it's a match program. We, we match your four to one on the dollar. So you're getting some, uh, some assistance from Northwest as well, but we can always couple that with the municipal grants that are out there, the city of Buffalo grants. Um, if you're looking in any of the suburbs, there's grants in Amherst and there's grants in Hamburg and Tonawanda. So there's, there's a lot of assistance out there for first time home buyers. Low down payment options, um, that, that's really what uh, pushes first-time home buyers to that first home that they don't have to come to closing with a ton of money. Um, but every little bit helps. And as Rick was saying about financial wellness, you know, that's where we always want to start is with education and financial wellness to get individuals into that dream home. If I'm looking to buy my first home and I walk into your office, what are you going to tell me off bat? I know nothing. First, we're going to talk about the big word, credit, right? People either don't know where their credit stands or some people do know where their credit stands. There's a lot of there's a lot of tools out there nowadays, you know, the credit karmas. And even on your own credit cards, you can check your own credit or monitor your own credit, which is very important. Um, that's always going to be the hot the hot topic word when you, when you walk into any lender. They're going to talk to you about your credit. They're going to talk to you about your credit, your income, and your savings. So, you know, you, you want to make sure that you are prepared one way to do that is to uh, really take advantage of some of the home buyer education that's out there, whether it be from Belmont Neighborhood Housing or from anything that Northwest has to offer. There's plenty of areas around Western New York where you can find opportunities to, to gain knowledge on what you actually need to do to buy a house. Now tell me about this collaboration you have with, with Belmont Housing Resources for Western New York. Um, you guys are uh, on Jefferson Avenue. Why, why the east side? Years ago, when Northwest was acquiring the branches of First Niagara, 
had a meeting with the mayor, uh, Mayor Brown, and he he really wanted us to be in the east side. And we picked the the area of Jefferson because just like they talk about food deserts in certain places, there really was a banking desert. And we wanted to be the catalyst of something special in that neighborhood. And I think we really were. Uh, our branch opened in 2009. Uh, we also collaborated with Belmont Housing to put a full-service location uh Financial Education Center, and uh, that was really the start of a revitalization of that neighborhood. I mean, it's been a tragic situation in that neighborhood after the events of May 14th, but we'll be there. We were there before, and we will be there to, to continue to pick up uh, to try to help that community in a better financial position than they were. What's an, what's an easy way or quick first step for someone to begin to resolve or improve their financial situation? Is that, Jonathan, as you said, that, that big C word, credit? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, really, I think education. I think education is probably the number one uh, priority for anybody that's, you know, whether it's purchasing a home or just getting your uh, savings to where you need it to be um, or just financial wellness in general. So walking into a branch, walking to that Jefferson branch, you're going to meet some great people that we have at Northwest. Our branch manager, Rodney Rodriguez, is great over there. They'll put you I mean, where you need to be and in touch with who you need to talk to, whether that be somebody at Belmont or somebody at Northwest that can assist you. So education, for sure, is, is, is number one. And, and Thomas, nobody's situation is beyond hope. Everybody can get better and everybody can improve just understanding the fundamentals of the things that go into uh, into their own financial picture. And everybody's financial picture is just a little bit different. Yours is different than than Johnny's or mine. And uh, ev- everybody requires well, a little bit of help Well, that goes without saying. Everybody, hel- everybody requires a little bit of help You guys got suits on. Yes. Well, <laughs> I've got truck we, we were meeting an important guy, so we had to put a suit on. <laughs> Thank you. Um, circling back to that conversation with, with the mayor, I mean, was there anything else interesting that he said that, we, you know, we need we need this bank here, but it was the, the why? Did he explain that? Well, he, and, and he really, uh, and, and I uh, was a part of that meeting. I, I came in a little bit later, but uh, from what I understand, he said that that was the place uh, that was most important to him, that uh, that was a part of town that really needed uh, some financial help and needed somebody local so that the, the residents could uh, get easily get easy access to, to a financial institution. And I will tell you, Thomas, uh, it's been remarkable to me how many checking accounts, new checking accounts that that branch opens every year. They're in the top 10 for our entire Northwest Bank company uh, system-wide in opening checking accounts every year. So there is, that to me means that there is a real need for that in that community. And how does that help the community grow? Well, uh, it's really the, the first step in financial in financial wellness is just opening an account and putting money in and paying bills in a timely manner. That's And, and I, I know you've got representatives from Belmont coming in in a little bit, but that's really the first step towards, uh, towards financial wellness and, and that, I, I call it sleep at night, uh, the ability to sleep at night, knowing your bills are paid and knowing that you've got a budget that you live live within and that you put more money aside every day for those dreams, whether it's sending your kid to college or uh, buying that first home or fixing the home that you're in, you know, with repair, repairing a home that you might be in. And uh, I know we've done an a awful lot of uh, lending in, in and around the Jefferson Avenue branch uh, to, to help fix up some of the housing stock that's been around there and, and that needed some 
repairs, especially through a snowstorm that we just saw that uh, has added even more pressure on some of these folks. But the ones that have been working with us, you know, they got a little nest egg. They've got, you know, with a loan and a grant, uh, they can really uh, fix things up well. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like it's a new day in that it, neighborhood. It is a new day in that neighborhood. I, at least I hope it is. Uh, they've been through an awful lot, uh, as the whole city has. And uh, I think we're, I, I really, you know, I hope and pray that we're really on the cusp of something special there. No, you know, the... As Rick was saying, the you know that area needed partnership, and I think that's what you know this. That's what Northwest brought. That's what Belmont brings. That's what a lot of the residents in the in the you know East Buffalo have you know or need. I guess is is that partnership, and we are glad to be part of that. And I think that it's only going to grow. That was Thomas with Northwest Bank's Jonathan Graves and Rick Hamster from February sixth of this year. And we end the show with Angelique Preston with Yanava Hawkins and Raina Moncrief from Girl Gang Entertainment from April 19th of this year. The three discuss Girl Gang Entertainment and their work in the community for young girls of color. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Buffalo What's Next. I'm Angelique Preston. And on today's show, we have two best friends that decided to start their own business together, educating the community about sex, mental health, and other issues typically not openly discussed in communities of color. Yanava Hawkins and Raina Moncrief are both born and raised in the Queen City and are here to talk about Girl Gang ENT. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes. (laughs) How are you? We're good. We're good. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a day. We just did a training it's been a good girl gang day. It's but been a good girl yeah, gang day, yes. Good. Let's talk about Girl Gang ENT. What is it? Yes. So how we typically introduce ourselves, we are an event planning and hosting company. Um, we started off from college with an idea. And Yanava usually does a really good job telling <laughs> why we started. So I'll let you say why yeah. we started. So, well, I'll first start with this, too. Just, like, our background in terms of we pretty much have identical life stories, almost. <laughs> like, we started being friends and maybe when we were, like, eight or nine. Mm-hmm. We went to the same high school, went to the same college. So then at the end of college, well, maybe, like, junior year, senior year of college, we're like, okay, we go to these parties, but it's always hosted by men. And like, or like the frats and like those are the parties that are the most booming. And we're like, we would love to go to a party that's like hosted by women. And then I just feel like having the touch that women had, like that we knew we could bring to an event space like that. And then have like women DJs and like photographers, videographers, like that's where we really were like, okay, we should do this. So then our senior year, we were like, you know what? Whatever, we're just gonna throw a party. So we threw a graduation party the year we graduated. We yes. were like, we don't even want our own graduation party. We're gonna throw mm-hmm. one for, for our friends. Others. Yeah. And when I say we had no money, <laughs> we had no resources. <laughs> no. We were just like, we're gonna do it. Mm-hmm. So we weren't even girl gang yet. Yes. For like we were, we were girl gang for like two months. We were girl gang. We just weren't girl gang LLC. Yeah. So we threw this party. It was fantastic. I mean. At that point, profit, any profit was profit. But we were like, oh, we could do this. Mm-hmm. So that's really where we started in terms of, like, event planning. And honestly, I didn't really have an event planning background. Like, Rain and her family, like, they all do event stuff all the time. And I'm more of, like, the day of, like, hosty type of person. So we were like, we could do this. We just have to figure out what our, like, niche is. And we knew we wanted to support women. So that's where we came up with the girl gang situ- um, situation, the girl gang name. And mm-hmm. then you can... And then... Um, 
Um, we continued hosting our own events and planning events. And in 2018, I want to say, mm-hmm. we joined a community action board with Hope Buffalo. And um, we basically created Pop and Play, the sexual health intervention. So it's a party. It's an intervention. It's um, There's a goal of actually getting black young adults and young people tested and to decrease STIs in the black community of Buffalo specifically. Mm-hmm. And we were hired through that community action board as event planners to also plan the event. Fast forward 2020 and we were asked to take it over because we had already been doing it. We created mm-hmm. it or we were part of creating it and we're an event planning and hosting company. So that's where we're now, like, we own Pop and Play. It's our baby. Mm -hmm. Um, To go back a little bit, the way it started was Hope Buffalo had grant funds from the Tuskegee Experiment Reparations. Mm -hmm. And they basically said, well, these funds are reparations from a horrific experiment that was done on black people, Mm -hmm. so it needs to go to help black people. And that's what we decided to create was the event that is Pop and Play. I looked on your website and mm-hmm. I saw uh, one of the videos for Pop and Play. And it's such it's such a unique mm-hmm. way to talk about sex, to mm-hmm. talk about mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a, a fun way, I feel like. Um, yes. So talk, talk more about how, uh, how that happens. Like mm-hmm. what goes on at a Pop and Play? Got you. So... First of all, I love Pop and Play so much. Like, it's just, <laughs> so much it's, fun. Right. It's so much fun. And honestly, it's something that we never would have just, like, created ourselves. And so we're glad that we are part of the Community Action Board. And, like, while we're on the Community Action Board, we actually did a lot of – it came with a lot of research, a lot of mm-hmm. data. Um, we did community cafes. We had to talk to other people in the community, say, like, why don't you get – like, straight up blunt questions. Like, why don't you get tested? You know, there's stigma around testing. Why is that? Um, you know, what have you learned about sexual health from your family? Like very in-depth conversations for us mm-hmm. to even get to pop and play. Like we didn't right. just sit at a table with eight of us and be like, oh, let's do a party. No, mm-hmm. we went into the community, asked, okay, you don't get tested because, you know, lack of access to transportation or you don't know where to go or the only place you can go is, I don't know, 30 minutes away. So you're just like, I'd rather just not even get tested. Um, so we, after gathering all that information, we were like, okay, so it's definitely something that needs to be not during the day. Right. Like during the day is just not a good to people at work, people at school. Like that's not a time to get tested. So we're like, mm-hmm. okay, bet. Let's do it in the evening. And we're like, okay, if we do it in the evening, maybe we could just do a party. <laughs> like why not? Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay, that might look a little funky, but like let's, you know, dive deeper into it. So we were like, okay, cool, boom. We don't want to do like a health fair type situation. Let's make this an event where we can also decrease the stigma around getting tested because I can be like, hey, I'm going to a party tonight. No right. one knows that there's going to be testing there. You're, you're just going to have drinks and snacks or like whatever. To chill. To right. chill, to see your friends. So we, that took care of that part to decrease the stigma. And then we always have free testing at all of our pop and play events. Um, shout out to Erie County Department of Health. They've been to yes. all, every single pop and play. Every single one. They bring their kid. They're fun. They're part of the conversation. And then mm-hmm. they provide free SCI testing um we always also always have a free condom bar again we're not just having condoms in little packages or trying to hide them we literally put them in chafing dishes the same way yeah. pasta or like pizza <laughs> would be in. like we put them out on the table here's a bag do your thing get what you need yep. um we've had sex toy tables before 
Um, and now we brought in kind of a new element, which is a panel discussion. Um, and that kind of branched out from COVID where we couldn't have in-person events. So we did um, lives. And so we just brought in different people from Buffalo and then even outside of Buffalo. Mm -hmm. um, we just picked a topic and we talked about it. And from, yeah. And no, go ahead. It, it's a safe space for mm -hmm. people, yes. for young teens and adults yes. or whoever to come in and, mm -hmm. and talk openly about yes. sex and yes. about mental health and mm -hmm. about issues that mm -hmm. like like you mentioned are are, are stigmatized mm -hmm. specifically exactly. especially in our community right and we like that it's not something where we have all like we get professionals or i mean yes we like to have people in the space that maybe work at planned parenthood or maybe are in a sexual health or just health realm in general mm -hmm. but we really want it to be like learning from other people who are going through the situation or somebody who's saying, yo, I felt this symptom and I ended up getting tested and I got this and this is what I did. Like to mm -hmm. hear that from somebody firsthand who might be a homie, who might be whoever, like somebody your age, like having that type of situation and circumstance in a safe space is like way better than us just having a doctor be like, you should get tested. Like right. we've, we know at this point that doesn't work. Yeah. But to have a panel of young black I would say youth and all the way up to, I feel like we usually cap at like maybe 35, 36 age at this point. But I feel like between like 18 and 35-ish is what the room is full of. And to specifically have black people in a space and talking about black health, which is not funny, but we had somebody reach out to us on Facebook like, why is it black sex? Like, what's the difference in black sex and white sex? Da, da, da. And we're like, well... I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but also when we talk about black sex, we're not specifically talking about penetrative sex. Like right. We're talking about there's health disparities specifically around black sex in terms of um, pregnancy, women have STI rates are high. You know, there's not a lot of STI testing places in black communities. Like, it's way more than just... This is my partner. We have sex and we're black. black like bodies are over-sexualized. Right. Like, there's just so much more. There's so much more layers it. than that. Yeah. yeah. So that's why our motto is protect your pleasure because it's like whatever your pleasure is. Like, we don't care what that looks like. It's mm -hmm. different for everybody. Whatever that is, we just want to make sure it's healthy. And exactly. we go beyond. We don't even really use safe sex. We always say healthy sex mm -hmm. because that encompasses way more than just a condom. Like, that means you're having your in situations with people who are mentally stable in this situation, who have your best interest in this moment. Like, healthy sex goes way deeper than just having a contraceptive. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you both mentioned uh, Erie County has been in each one, each of the Every pop and plays. Yes. They did a study, or they released data last year mm -hmm. um, about STDs in Erie County, and the 14211 and 14215 mm -hmm. zip codes uh, tested for had the highest rates in the county mm -hmm. for STDs, and both of those zip codes are on the east side. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, talk about that. So that is literally why <laughs> yep. we were asked to be part of the community action board mm -hmm. and to start this intervention and this um, event or create pop and play because the rates are so high and were so high, mm -hmm. and we needed to address that. Like, why is that? Why is that happening? What are the reasons? Like, is it education? Is it the resources? Mm -hmm. Is it the stigma just in general? We found it was all of those reasons. Right. <laughs> we could only really address, like, two yeah. with our events. So we focus mainly on education and stigma, mm -hmm. um, which is why, for one, like Yanava said, it's a party. 
it's not a health fair. It's right. not like, Mm-mm. you know, come talk tabling. to this, yeah, no. <laughs> this organization. <laughs> no, it's no tabling. No one's passing out anything. No flyers. It's just fun. It's right. food. It's drinks. Mm-hmm. It's music. We always have a DJ. Mm-hmm. It's a turn up. And right. the only people we've actually allowed in the space that's an organization or a business mm-hmm. is Erie County Department of Health. Right. Um, because they take care of our testing and honestly, they understand what we're doing. Mm-hmm. They're fun and they always get into the conversation. Right, I think at least helpful. once every pop and play, yeah. they'll say something. What has right. been the response from the community, from people that have attended the pop and plays? Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, they love it. <laughs> yeah. They definitely love it. And I also wanted to just add to what Raina said in, in particular about the zip codes um, is that we are very, we are also very, um, What's the word I'm looking for? Intentional. Intentional on where we have pop and play, mm-hmm. especially when we first started. Um, we like we've had one at Barcy Theater on Bailey. Like that was I think our third one. Uh, we had one at the Landmark. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one like right after COVID. Well, it was still in COVID ish, but we actually did one at the barbershop on Delavan and Styles of Man. Styles of Man barbershop. Yeah. So like we oh, was Delavan and Cortland. Yes. yes. Okay. So mm-hmm. we did a pop and play in there. Had a DJ. Had kind of everything we normally have. Mm-hmm. People were just walking down the street. I'm like, yo, if you want to get tested, we got free testing real quick. Like mm-hmm. we are not scared to be not I don't say scared but we are very intentional about being in those spaces yes now we have kind of grown a little bit and maybe we are in spaces that aren't necessarily black owned or not like in those specific zip codes but I think now also our reach has grown Mm -hmm. so people are like okay like I know who pop and play is like I'll go to that place because based on who they are and we've had a lot of people who have been to multiple pop and plays at this point after every pop and play there's always somebody who's like oh how can I get on the panel and it's not some like oh, we only choose these people because they have followers or we choose people because I know they did that. No, it's like if you have something to say, you feel like you can be on this panel and use this platform to then educate the community, even though you're not a health educator, quote unquote, your experiences will educate somebody in this room. We're like, of course, Mm -hmm. like, yes, you can be on this panel. So I think the feedback that we've gotten has been tremendous, both in person and um, with our online like Facebook lives that we do. Um, yeah, the feedback has definitely been positive. How yeah. often do the pop and plays happen? So the pop and play event, like the in-person event, is only once or twice a year. Yeah. And then we do the Facebook Live panel every third Thursday of every month. Yeah. If it's not a pop and play. If it's, <laughs> if, right, if it's not a pop and play event. Right, that month. Right. And we'll also add that all pop and plays are free. So mm-hmm. free of charge. You don't pay for anything. They always come with food, drinks you name it whatever is available is available to everybody when they walk in no one opens a wallet when they come to pop and play and that will always be always yes (laughs) growing up uh for you ladies growing up in buffalo Mm -hmm. how was your individual experiences regarding sex education Mm -hmm. and regarding mental health Mm -hmm. so we joke about it all the time but our health class was it was not it. It was <laughs> I some multiple tell you what choice. I learned. Yeah, questions <laughs> and the most monotone teacher. Right, it was Love not him, good, but it was rough. It was not good. <laughs> it was not. Yeah, no. no. I learned most of what I've learned from talking to friends, internet, and the trainings we got at Hope Buffalo. Right, like I learned the most during this process, like yeah. prepping for pop and play. That's and then that puts you in an even different space because now like friends will ask me stuff because they know that I've learned things being through that 
that time and like I feel like I'm kind of like a champion in the community <laughs> at this point yeah. where people can be like yo like where can I go get tested or they'll just DM me like yo and I like knowing that we've built up enough like information on ourselves because I wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily consider myself like a sex health sexual health educator but like knowing I, we can be like a bridge a resource that can gap yeah uh, a bridge that does that make sense close the gap close the gap between <laughs> the community and like any of the resources that we know like that's really what I think feels good at this point especially when we didn't have it in high school <laughs> at all yeah that was not no. <laughs> yeah no they're just like safe sex we're like okay appreciate it <laughs> like next <Thanks>. right <laughs> like all right okay let's go play basketball like okay yep that meant a lot appreciate it <laughs> let's talk about i saw on your website it's the choices for me mm-hmm. yes Talk about that initiative. Um. So again, shout out to Hope Buffalo. Yes, Hope Buffalo, <laughs> our peeps. Right. No, those, that's the home. Speaking of homies, that's right. The homies. Those are the homies. <laughs> so once we were in the loop with Hope Buffalo from like being on the community action board, building pop and play, we were well connected um, with Hope Buffalo. So they had they were looking for someone to contract to um, implement a sexual health intervention for teen girls ages 14 through 19. Mm -hmm. Um, it started out with specific zip codes, but we were able to just narrow that down to just girls who live in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Um, so pretty much it's a program that's already created. It's a video called 17 days. Um, but honestly, like pitching that to a school, just being like, here's a video called 17 days. Can we come? It's not sexy. Mm -mm. (laughs) So we were like, okay, how can we put a spin on this and like make it a little bit more fun? So we decided to call it the choices for me. Um, and it comes, every girl who watches the video gets paid for their time because we're like, you had to sit here for an hour and we appreciate your time, so you get paid for being here. Um, so yeah, we pretty much have gone to schools, after school programs, sports practices, whatever we can get to, and we have them watch the video, we do a little recap at the end, do a little condom demonstration. Um, I think the most important part is at the end we ask questions, or we have them ask us questions and just let them know that Girl Gang is a resource. I'm like, we, I mean, we're girls. We know what it's like to be a high school girl. Things happen. And, like, health teachers aren't necessarily saying that or coming from that viewpoint. We're like, we know things happen. Condoms break. You might be in the moment. You might have raw sex that you didn't necessarily plan to have, but it happened. And so, like, instead of being like, well, what do I do? DM girl gang, hey, this happened. Where can I go? Like, so having that connection with, the 300 girls that we reached this year, I think, is wow, definitely, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is yeah. definitely powerful. And honestly, if you would have asked us in 2017 if what we would be doing in 2023, it would we not would be not have doing this. a sexual health but, intervention yeah. for girls. But we love it. I mean, the program it was created by Carnegie Mellon, mm-hmm. so they had already like tested this and they already knew that it was proven effective. The video is um, healthy relationships, but specifically. They learn how to do condom negotiation, Mm -hmm. like if they're in a situation and maybe, you know, the other person wants to take it to the next level. They're not really sure if they want to Mm -hmm. or they are comfortable with it, but they know for sure we need to have a condom. How do you say that? Do you ask, do you have a condom? Do you say I have a condom? Right. You can, they learn that they have options. They Mm -hmm. have the ability. You can say that you have a condom. You can carry condoms. That is okay. Mm -hmm. If you know that you're going to engage in sexual activity, you should protect yourself. Right. And so the video is supposed to show them how to be in healthy relationships, how to negotiate that. The main character, I think, her whole story is that she has a boyfriend and they had sex. She didn't have a condom. And so she was just in a sticky moment of like not knowing mm-hmm. what was next. She didn't know like 
am I going to be pregnant? Right. Like, what's happening with my body? Right. And the entire story goes on from there to, like, talk about how that could have been prevented mm-hmm. and more tools. They learn mm-hmm. um, how to make an OBGYN or a GYN appointment. appointment yeah. yeah, gynecologist appointment. They learn how to put a condom on. Mm-hmm. So it's a really good video. You mentioned the condom demonstrations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Do you ladies uh, find when you when you do those, mm-hmm. is there the awkwardness from the girls? Like, how, how do they respond to that? Funny enough, being the people that Raina and I are, <laughs> I really don't feel like there's, like, that awkwardness that you probably would have with your health teacher who's some, like, 50-year-old man. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, like, by that point, like, first of all, we walk in and we just look like one of the students low-key. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, the way we talk, the way we hold ourselves, like, they'll be chatting. We'll be like, yo, can y'all chill real quick? And they're like, oh. They kind of cool. Right. So by the time we're like, all right, y'all, what's this? And they're like, oh, the condom. We're like, okay, bet. Open it up. So by then, like, usually the awkwardness, and that's that's what I'm saying. The ending is very nice because usually by then all the barriers are broken down and mm-hmm. they feel very open to be like, like come. some people come up to us afterwards like, hey, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. I'm like, sure. And they'll ask, like, very personal questions. And, like, the fact that we can get to that point within an hour of knowing them is like this is and this is all a one day setting situation. Yep. It's not two parts. We see them one time and usually by the end they are able to ask us questions that they either don't want to or are comfortable asking their friends or family um or their nurse or anything like that. So having that I think is the most not the most important, but that's one of the most important parts. Yeah. How often do the it's the choices for me events happen? It's very dependent on schools, who says yes, who says no. Right. To be honest, we've this is our third year doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two years, ooh, I, I don't know if I say rocky, but it was it was we hard coming schools. off of COVID, yeah, and yeah. it was difficult to get our foot in the door. So, mm-hmm. like, a getting a receiving an email from Girl Gang Entertainment off rip is just kind of like right. who are these people this? like who is this <laughs> and then we're like hey sexual health and they're like all right this sounds like something we don't need right so once we pass that part and they see who we are and they understand we're affiliated with whole buffalo like usually then people are more open to having us home to their school and so this year was our first year where we felt like we got into some schools and then that teacher told another teacher and that teacher told another teacher from a different school. So like, like I think workers. social workers, mm-hmm. gym teachers. So like uh, we just had performing arts literally for the whole month of April. We went every Friday for gym classes. So that and that came from us going to Kenmore West and then that came mm-hmm. from us going to another after school program. So I feel like between maybe like December to April, we were at least at a school yeah. once a month. Busy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And in true girl gang fashion, we did create an event off of oh, yeah. <laughs> this intervention that we provide. So that's called Healthy Girl Events. Um, we It depends on what's happening. Sometimes we'll do Healthy Girl Halloween mm-hmm. or Healthy Girl Summer. Yeah. And we'll just do events or we'll do activities that go with the time of year or whatever is happening. Um, for Halloween, we had... Um, Sydney Moore come out mm-hmm. and do hip hop, extreme hip hop with Sydney. She just did a quick class with the girls with her steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Jamani come out and do some kickboxing moves with mm-hmm. the girls. Yeah. We had a nice, you know, display of drinks and hot cider and Food a truck. DJ. Yeah, like a block party. Oh, yeah. It yeah. was fun. Yeah, yeah. Just promoting healthiness. Like, mm-hmm. that's like at the base of it. Like, that's what we want it to be. And yeah. just good vibes chill yeah we had organizations come out they gave out candy Mm -hmm. and other free things i mean 
was it Planned Parenthood? They were going out like full bags. Yeah. Like gym bags. Yeah. That was nice. Filled. Yeah. Wow. It was really mm-hmm. nice. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that uh, when you started the business, you had no money. Right. Zero. Zero. <laughs> Negative dollars. Right. <laughs> Bank account, negative, negative. Right. overdraft fees. Yes, yes. <laughs> Big overdraft. <laughs> How difficult, or or talk to us about being young black women mm-hmm. navigating ownership. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of groups that we joined. Um, the Kanisha's Women's Business Center was a big help. Mm-hmm. We participated in their growth program, which they have for um, women entrepreneurs and businesses that are basically at the point that we were at, we started, but we were just trying to like really get our footing and mm-hmm. like marketing and just all of the small details that didn't have to do with us <laughs> actually just doing our work. work yeah. Um, but it was very helpful. Shout out to Kanisha's Women's Business Center. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our friends and resources, like mm-hmm. we've had a lot of people mentor us and assist us. Um, one of the ladies at Hope Buffalo used to be an event planner mm-hmm. and she kind of took us under her wing and, you know, would help us. She mentored us. Um, we worked with the SBA as well and um, got a mentor through them. So a lot of mentoring. Yeah. Like l- just us listening and taking everything in. Like we're definitely sponges. Mm-hmm. We we love to hear new information and just be educated on like best practices. Mm-hmm. I'm always like looking at the SBA to see like what different tutorials or what conferences they have or just like little classes mm-hmm. that I can sit and watch and like get information about Mm -hmm. so that's that's been our biggest thing is just looking for business resources what's next for girl gang oh girl (laughs) (laughs) you got that right (laughs) so we are in the process right now um with hope buffalo of moving forward with 17 days ideally Mm -hmm. um so we're looking to continue that intervention um, and whether or not it's specifically 17 days or another video, another program, mm-hmm. it's the choices for me is um, what we're looking to continue at the very moment. Yeah. And then possibly maybe some moving out of Buffalo for Pop and Play. But we'll see. Yeah. We definitely want to take Pop and Play to another state. Yes. Oh, nice. For or, sure. Another city. Or maybe even another country. Right. Like Canada. Right. Yes. <laughs> no, honestly, because, like, the concept is there. Mm-hmm. Like, we we know that that is done. Like, there's mm-hmm. no changing that. Like, we know the goal is to decrease <laughs> STIs, <laughs> to get more people tested, and to reduce stigma. Right. And we're like, we already have this package. We can literally be like, okay, bet, this is what we do. We find the Erie County Department of Health equivalent to wherever we're going. Boom, they're there, do free testing. We find a dope little bar. Mm-hmm. There's pop and play. <laughs> and we've had so many people reach out to us to be on the live from outside of New York. Mm-hmm. We've had people from California, people from Atlanta, D.C. Mm-hmm. Like, people are always reaching out to us because they've seen it, they watched a live, they've right. seen our social media or something. And so we know that the interest is there. Mm-hmm. We just we just have to do it. So, yeah, stay no, tuned. Stay, stay tuned. We're there. So, ladies, how can our audience or anyone listening... If they want to know more information about Girl Gang ENT, about the pop and plays, what is the best way for them to access the information? 
Um, so they can visit our website at girlgangent.com. Um, and then if you're on social, our Instagram is girlgangent. And then for pop and play, our Instagram is pop in play 716. So it's P O P N P L A Y 716. And that will do it for today. Summertime producer pick episode. We would like to thank our guests, Antoine Johnson, Jonathan Graves, Rick Hamster, Yanava Hawkins, and Raina Moncrief. If you missed this and you'd like to hear it again, a reminder that this program is a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts or the new Amplify BTPM app. And each episode is available online on demand at WBFO.org. This is WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOL and Olean, and WBJ Jamestown, your NPR station. This is Charles Gilbert. Thanks for listening. <laughs>